About Empathy is a podcast that focuses on patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experiences with serious illness. We are now in our third season. Thank you for listening. Week by week, we hope these engaging conversations inspire you to have empathic and compassionate interactions. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Dr. Irene Ying. And I'm Dr. Dori Sekraccia. We are physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. This podcast gives voice to the patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experience. By reflecting on their stories, we hope to improve our practice and yours. In our episode today, we interviewed Dr. Najma Ahmed via Zoom. So just a little heads up for our listeners that the sound quality might sound a little bit different in this episode. In her 20 years of experience as a trauma surgeon, Dr. Najma Ahmed has seen an increasing number of gun violence incidents. The organization she co-founded, Canadian Doctors for Protection from Gun Violence, is centering gun violence as a public health issue. The organization's work in research and policy has helped to pass laws increasing background checks for transfer and sale of firearms, along with establishing an assault rifle ban. For her advocacy work, Dr. Ahmed has been awarded the 2020 Sir Charles Tupper Award for Political Advocacy from the Canadian Medical Association. Hello, Najma, and welcome to About Empathy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Najma, was there one defining event that prompted you to take on gun violence as a public health concern? Well, I think there were several things that happened a little bit at the same time. There was, of course, the terrible shooting on the Danforth in the summer of 2020. I would say that trauma docs across the country and trauma surgeons had been grappling with this sense that there was increasing gun violence around us for several years. But I think what happened with the terrible events on the Danforth is that the city, for sure, maybe even the country, became much more aware that mass shootings are not an American phenomenon alone and that we are all vulnerable to these things. And then I think in late in 2018, after the shooting on the Danforth, the NRA, the National Rifle Association in the United States, put out a tweet in response to an issue in the Annals of Internal Medicine that self-important doctors should sort of stay in their lanes. And this prompted a gun violence advocate, Dr. Joseph Saccharin, out of Johns Hopkins, very active in the sphere, to respond saying that, in fact, this was our lane. And I think that many trauma physicians, including myself, took this as a bit of a call to action And we all started around that time thinking about how we could do more and better to address this issue of gun violence. Can you tell us how gun violence is an avoidable harm? Well, actually, you know, the evidence is very, very clear that the more guns there are in our communities, in our societies, in our homes, the more gun deaths there are. Countries with stricter legislation governing civilian ownership of guns have much lower rates of gun deaths from suicides, homicides, and femicides. You know, Canadians, I think, sometimes feel really good about our gun death rates because we compare ourselves to the United States, but really they're very much an outlier compared to the rest of the world. It's true that our gun death rates are five or six times lower than in the U.S., but if you look carefully at the data, our gun death rates are five to eight times greater than our peer nations, like the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Japan, and Australia. And other countries over the last decade have increased the strictness of civilian ownership for guns, regulations and laws in response to the evolving evidence and data that has emerged worldwide that supports these policies. That's a really interesting perspective, too, because I think we always compare ourselves to the U.S., 
And so we think, hey, we're doing okay. It's interesting to compare ourselves to other nations. So I've actually never thought about it that way. So thank you for that. You're very passionate about advocacy work. Would you say that advocacy on a macro or population scale is really a form of empathy writ large? It's a really great statement. And I think that's how I see it, actually. I'm very active in this advocacy work because of my empathy for my patients. And I see the suffering and harm that comes from this and that is very much preventable or at least to a large extent preventable. And so I'm passionate because I see how my patients suffer. A lot of people don't realize that injury from guns becomes a chronic illness. We patch up these patients. People maybe have this image that the ambulance pulls up to the ambulance bay and the patients whisk inside the trauma bay and then maybe people think the doctors and nurses go to work and they have surgery and then two weeks later they're discharged home and they go on with their lives. Well, that's not true. You know, these are highly lethal weapons. If patients survive, they suffer with lifelong disability, chronic pain, emotional problems. These are young people and they very often never go back to work or go back to school because of the effect of the gun violence, the injuries have had on them. So it becomes a chronic illness. I have patients in my practice for 10 years, 15 years. They undergo multiple surgeries to save their lives and multiple surgeries and rehabilitation. They spend weeks and months and years in physical rehab and then with counseling to try and put their lives back together. And people don't understand the effect on families and communities. It's very devastating for families and communities. When I think about my advocacy work and I think about why I'm passionate about it, I think that it's in part because I know this can be avoided. And if we can avoid this from happening only once, you know, to one person in our community, it is so important for the health of that community and for the health of that family. Najma, you hinted a little bit at this already in the previous question, but can you tell us about in your years of experience as a trauma surgeon, a couple lessons that you've learned from the patients or families that you've cared for? That's a great question. And you would know that our greatest teachers are our patients. You know, if you listen to them and you really are open to learning from them, we become such better doctors and such better practitioners. You know, what I've learned from my patients interacting with my patients and their families is about how much resilience that the human spirit has and how much resilience the human body has and what the human spirit and what the human body can overcome. It's really remarkable. Sadly, I've also learned what the human body and what the human spirit cannot overcome. There is a limit and these are lethal weapons and they are designed to kill and they can kill and they do kill. I've learned about the depths of grief and sorrow and all the unanswerable questions that live with people after a loved one is injured or hurt. I've learned that gun violence not only tears apart bodies, but it also tears apart families and communities. I think I talked before about how gun injuries can become a chronic illness. And what I've learned is that, you know, sometimes people do recover, but very often they don't recover. They just learn to live with this new state of being. Speaking of sort of living in a state of being, you've seen so much, and as you know, burnout amongst healthcare providers is known to negatively impact empathic communication. So considering all of the trauma that you've witnessed over the years, how do you mitigate the potential for post-traumatic stress impacting your work life? Great question. Something that the healthcare system is grappling with. You know, we see this a lot, the vicarious harm that can come if we don't take care of each other and if we don't recognize that this is a real risk in our environments. I'm really lucky because I have great colleagues and we work in a team. We share the work. We share the burden, we share the highs, the successes, and we share the lows. We celebrate together when great things happen. And I have an amazing family, an amazing network of people around me. 
Uh, I know when to step back. I think that's an important skill for a clinician to know when to step back. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll just go sit on the beach and read a good book. That sounds like a good idea. Najma, I just have one more question. I'm wondering what energizes you to keep working on firearms research and policy writing? You're a very busy person and it must be hard to upkeep that momentum. Yeah, it's, it's very true. It is true. It's hard to find sometimes the time and the energy, but again, it's a labor of love. So that's the first thing. And second of all, it's a team effort. I mean, there's hundreds of students and residents and practitioners. We're a national organization with people all over the country. We're an organization with eMERGE physicians and nurses and paramedics and other trauma surgeons, psychiatrists and pediatricians who lean in and do the work with me when necessary. I'm energized by the knowledge that the work we are doing is bringing change. You may know that I testified at the Senate Hearing Committee in February of 2019, and in May of 2019, Bill C-71 passed into law. And then in the year subsequent to that, we have been working with policymakers to bring greater restrictions to assault weapons. And you may know that in May 2020, 1,500 different types of assault weapons were banned by the government. So part of it is knowing that the work we are doing is making a difference, and it's going to be so impactful for the generations to come. But I would like to just make it very clear, this is not something I do on my own. We're a national organization with tons of people. And I have to say the young people, the old people might bring some wisdom, some gray hair and some you know, strategy to things, but the passion and the energy and the innovation really comes from the medical students and the residents with whom I engage. That's wonderful to hear. It's great to hear how that, it sounds like collaboration keeps you going, the passion of the people you work with, and also your positive outcomes as a group, right? So all of that together, that fuels you. I think it's the right time for the country to be having this discussion. It seems that Canadians are interested and want to know and learn more about this. So Najma, we always finish our podcast with the same question for our guests. So what do you wish that healthcare professionals knew about your own experience? So if you could complete the statement, if only they knew, how would you finish that statement? I finish that statement by saying, if only they knew how important their voice is. If only they knew how hungry people are to engage in important topics that are current in our society right now. People really respect the voice that the medical community can bring. And you can see that right now with COVID-19. People are so hungry to hear and understand what the science is telling us, what our clinical experience is telling us, what the clinicians are experiencing. They want to know. Physicians are a trusted voice, and we have often engaged in the difficult problems that society grapples with, whether it be tobacco smoking or whether it be seatbelt laws. You know, we've leaned in and engaged and helped policymakers make a better and a safer and a healthier society. So I would say that you should remember how powerful you are. I would also say that it's part of our identity as physicians to create better and healthier societies. And that's our role as health advocates. So never shy away from that. You can do it on a micro scale. You do it every day with your patients. But if you're so inspired, don't forget how powerful you are and you can make change. What a great message. Yeah, it's a great reminder. It's a great call to action. And it's also a nod to your work as an educator that we're always keeping that role of health advocate as part of one of our key competencies. Right. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. You're listening to About Empathy. We're going to take a short break to tell you about how the show is supported, and we'll be right back. 
The third season of About Empathy has been funded through donations to the palliative care team via the Sunnybrook Foundation. Sunnybrook is committed to patient engagement and care. By partnering with Sunnybrook, we hope that this podcast embeds family and patient experiences in all teaching and learning. To learn more about the education initiatives at Sunnybrook, visit sunnybrook.ca. About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them. No referral is necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. During the pandemic, all programs are available as online support groups, webinars, or as telephone-based supports via Well on the Web. Visit wellspring.ca to find a center location near you or to access national online programming. Welcome back to About Empathy. So Dory and Irene, I thought that was a really interesting conversation with Najma. I'm really struck by her advocacy and her passion for gun control. What stood out for you in what Najma was talking about? One thing that struck me was when she talked about just the sheer volume of suffering that comes from an event of a shooting and just how it affects, obviously, if a person didn't die, how the chronic suffering, physical and emotional, but everyone that's touched, that loved that person and the suffering and the trauma that come from that, I thought was a really good reminder to us of just the sheer amount of pain that can come from this unnecessary use of weapons Mm -hmm. and you know, it made me think we're in Canada and she made such a good point of comparing us to the U.S. that we feel we do such a good job. But when you compare us to outside the U.S., we're not doing as well as other places. And it's a real good reminder that we still have work to do, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really appreciated that she said that her advocacy work really stems from that empathy for her patients. Yeah. And then for the families of loved ones that are impacted by that gun violence. And so it starts from a micro place, from that sort of one-on-one empathy. And then it becomes more macro in its impact and scope. So I really appreciated that. I thought that her point around the fact that, you know, as physicians, and I think probably this extends to other healthcare professionals as well, that in the public, you know, our opinion is still very much, you know, valued mm-hmm. and the importance of advocacy as one of our professional roles. I needed a reminder of that because, you know, to be honest, I feel like in recent years, I haven't been doing a great job with that. I think earlier on in my career, I was a little bit more passionate around being vocal around issues uh, around injustices and, you know, healthcare. But then I kind of reached a point in my personal life where I think there's an emotional toll that comes with being an advocate, too, because when you're being an advocate, you're making yourself vulnerable, right? You're putting yourself out there for criticism, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you need some emotional bandwidth to be able to take that in. I just hit a point in my personal life where I wasn't able to do that, but the reminder that advocacy can take many forms. It can take, you know, a macro level or it can take a micro level in sort of more of your everyday encounters. And Mm -hmm. so that was just a nice reminder for me that, you know, what I'm doing still right now, even though it's on a smaller level, can still matter. And then there will come a time in my life again where I have that bandwidth again and I can go back more to like a public platform. And it's not like an all or nothing thing. I've heard you describe it, Irene, in a really interesting way. I think you described it as emotional space, as having the emotional Mm -hmm. space to Mm -hmm. take on more of that 
public type of advocacy. Yeah, it's hard. I think people forget, especially in this social media digital world, mm-hmm. that there are people behind these advocates, right? Mm-hmm. There's emotions. And I think oftentimes, you know, it's easy to send out a tweet or just mm-hmm. post something and forget about the fact that there are people who are living just day-to-day normal lives. We wouldn't say a lot of the things that we say on the internet face-to-face in person. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I'm not saying anyone is right or wrong, but I think that it takes a different sort of emotional strength Mm -hmm. to be able to work through all of that. Mm -hmm. I think there can be a lot of vitriol through social media on both sides. And sometimes the discourse isn't very respectful on social media. And so I think to be willing to take that on in that public space, I think is very brave and it's courageous and it takes a lot of strength to do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I really admire people like Najma, like her colleagues who are taking on the issue and they're taking it head on mm-hmm. despite those challenges. Definitely. Yeah. For our learners, she reminded us as physicians that We are a respected voice, Mm. and it was nice to be reminded of that. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we forget you're doing just the one-on-one, but people do put faith in us Mm -hmm. and do listen to us, and it's nice for young learners to hear that Mm -hmm. and embrace that. Mm -hmm. And it's something maybe that the general public doesn't necessarily know, but that physicians and teachers and students and residents know is that There are roles that we have to learn as physicians. And I think people know physicians for their medical expert role or for their role as a communicator, but actually health advocate is one of those roles. And so when you complete medical school and you complete your residency, you are expected to be a health advocate. And that's something that I don't think the general public knows about. And I think it's important to remember because Najma commented on how on Twitter, one of the things that spurred her on to take on this advocacy role was individuals saying that physicians should stay in their lane. Yes. When in fact, this is our lane. And I think that's really important to emphasize. And I don't think the public really knows that, that it's our responsibility to take that on. Yes. That's a good point. The other thing that got me thinking when Najma was talking is that I actually grew up around guns in my home. My father was a hunter and not just my father, my uncles and my whole family. Hunting was just a part of what we did. It was part of our culture. And I say we did like I hunted. I didn't hunt. (laughs) My my father and my uncles hunted, let's be honest. But those rifles were in our home. Yes. And I remember being around them and I remember feeling very uncomfortable around them. And I was uncomfortable with that idea of them going out and, you know, shooting animals for ourselves and for our own meat. I felt uncomfortable around it and I didn't feel comfortable around the guns, even though they were always safely locked up and never loaded. And so I always felt a bit uncomfortable about it. So Najma talking about it made me think back to that time in our life. And I thought about, you know, gun control and the idea that no one is trying to take away people's access to hunting rifles, you know, we're talking about taking away access to highly dangerous, highly damaging weapons like assault rifles. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the way to think about it. I think gun control is not about taking away all guns. And I think, Dora, you mentioned this. Mm -hmm. It's about controlling it so that we minimize the damage and harm to human beings. Yeah. And controlling whose hands yes. guns get into. Yes. Because I think as a population, we can all agree there are certain people yes. that none of us would want yes. guns to get into their hands. Exactly. 
I know exactly what you mean, Giovanna, because my dad also hunted, Mm -hmm. as do uncles and cousins. And when he passed away, my sister and I, we sold a house and we found three rifles. And I do (laughs) remember them when I was little, but only seeing them when he went Mm -hmm. hunting and came home and then never saw them. Mm -hmm. I also felt very uncomfortable and went through a large phase of not ever eating meat. But, you know, they were part of his world, and it's part of many of my family's Mm -hmm. world, and passing those rifles on to cousins who really were thankful and respectful. And I didn't feel there was anything wrong with that. So I agree, no one's trying to take away guns. It's just what type of gun and what Mm -hmm. is it used for is the important point. Mm -hmm. And Najma mentioned that some laws have already changed since her team's advocacy has been going on. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I think their work has been really impactful. Yes. And has really made a difference so far. I'm really thankful we had the chance to speak to Najma. I feel like I've learned so many things from her today and I thought it was a really helpful, really informative conversation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she was wonderful. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy on Apple Podcasts or listen on our website, aboutempathy.com. When you subscribe and rate our podcast, it helps others find us. The episode will be added to your app when we publish. Please share our podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and health professionals. You can find the notes from today's episode and information about our show on the website. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sekaracha, and Irene Ying. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded on-site at Wellspring and funded by the Sunnybrook Foundation at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.